and I quickly realized that um, in the Hong Kong market, even though Hong Kong is considered the capital of the toy market, because a lot of import-export from China go through Hong Kong, mm-hmm. um, there was a lot of plastic toys. You go to the toy store or the toy street, you know, surrounded by plastic. Um, or if not, you know, there are only a few things, a few European brands at that time that was like super expensive, you know, pieces of wood and things like that. Um, mm-hmm. And so uh, for me, at the same time, I saw that my daughter was very interested in felt, um, which is a material that, uh, you know, is very easy to make a lot of things with. Yeah. Uh, and so my idea was to start uh, making things with felt for her. And then eventually it became this concept of quiet book. Hey, Islanders, and welcome to episode 194 of the Kameno Voice. Today I speak with the chief play creator and founder of Little Bean's Toy Chest, as well as the founder and director of the Whidbey Island Language, Art, and STEM Center. Please welcome Haiyan Vu. Hi, I'm Brandon Erickson, and you're listening to the Kameno Voice podcast, where I interview local business owners, comedians, singers, and more. I dive into their backstory to find out how they got where they are, what are some of the tips for you to do the same, and find out where they're going. Tune in every week as I interview more of the people you see every day. Hey, Islanders, and welcome to another episode of the Camino Voice, where we release a new episode every Tuesday, except for the last two Tuesdays, because I was in Germany and gone. Um, so, uh, yeah, hope you guys are having a good week. Um, and as I mentioned, I got to go to Oktoberfest uh, in this last week, so that was a lot of fun. I got to go with one of my friends, uh, one of my childhood friends named Wesley, which was funny. We were on the trip, and as we were meeting new people, they're like, oh, cool, so you guys have been friends, and... And then we were like, yeah, we've known each other for almost 30 years. And I was like, that's, that's a really long time. So um, shout out to Wes. That was fun to, to go on that uh, trip. Um, and uh, yeah, get to meet a bunch of people from all over the world. Uh, Oktoberfest, uh, when I was looking at things beforehand, said it brings in uh, 6 million people over the course of the, the time period of Oktoberfest, which funny enough, is not mostly in October. It's mostly in September. Um, so that was weird, uh, but I, I now know that. Um, but yeah, great time. Uh, my hands and wrists are all sore uh, from holding up steins because they're actually really heavy. Um, so the waiters and waitresses that run around with like six or seven steins to throw them to tables is just insane. Um, but yeah, had a great time. Um, glad to be back in the saddle. Um yeah, so hopefully you guys have done some traveling, had get to have some, I don't know, some sort of time off, um, and uh, yeah, but let's jump into this episode. Uh, so I got to speak with Haiyan Vu, um, who, as I've mentioned before, um, <clears throat> owns the company Little Beans Toy Chest, um, and, and we'll get into that and, and what that company is, and then also we get into the Whidbey Island Language Art and STEM Center, uh, which is another uh, company that she started recently. And so we'll get into that and why she started that and why it's important for her. Um, but, uh, yeah, I got to meet Haiyan through, um, the project I did earlier this year. I think I've had a lot of podcasts lately about the projects I had earlier this year, um, with the, uh, rain catalyst group, um, as well as the, uh, ED, EDC, which is the economic development council of Island County. Um, 
So I got to meet a whole lot of new people, lots of new business owners, people that are doing really cool things in Island County. Um, so I got to meet a lot of our brothers and sisters from across the, the water there uh, over on Whidbey Island, which is fun because I don't typically make it over that far. Um, but Hi Ann was great. Uh, she was one of the mentors within the program, so we worked very closely with her. And um, so... It was fun to get to talk to her on the podcast. Uh, I do apologize ahead of time. We had some weird internet outage things throughout our phone call. So there's a few stops and starts that you're going to notice. I try and jump in and let you know when those happen so that we can um, keep the conversation going. But um, yeah, without further ado, here's my conversation with Haiyan Vu. Hey, Islanders, and welcome to another episode of the Camino Voice. Today I'm here with uh, a, a children's author and then the founder of Little Bean's Toy Chest, as well as the founder and director of Whidbey Island Language Art and STEM Center. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Ann Vu. Hi, Brendan. Thank you so much for having me on this program. Yeah. So before we get started, tell us a little bit about Hi, Ann. Yes. Hi. Um, so I'm a new resident of Whidbey Island. We came here three years ago from Hong Kong. And uh, before that, I am, we, my family lived in Hong Kong for over eight years. And I, um, my own background is that I am from Hanoi, Vietnam, um, which is a capital city of Vietnam. And okay. I've lived around many countries. I actually studied on the East Coast in a small liberal arts college called Bowdoin College. And so I was there for four years and then came back to Vietnam. And so um, met my husband, who is an American, uh, actually from Edmonds. And so we traveled together for a while and raised our children in Hong Kong. And then our life ended up here now. Wow. Very cool. So you guys have kind of been all over the, the globe. Not, not really all over, well, but yeah. Yeah. countries. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yes. More, more all over than, than my living has been. <laughs> Yeah. Very cool. So um, what was it like for you growing up in Vietnam? Um, I mean, in hindsight, it's a very interesting time. I was born during the time right before Vietnam changed from a centralized economy to a market economy. And mm-hmm. so the, it, it was over, across the board. It was much a poorer time. And, but there was rapid changes. Um, I mean, remember growing up, Russia was the language of choice, right, for students because Vietnam was a very good ally with the Soviet Union until okay. the Soviet Union collapsed. And then uh, everyone's like, OK, let's learn English. And then <laughs> <laughs> I um, so I was one of the, I guess, like the first generation that was privileged enough to um, get acquainted with the English as a, as a second language in school. Um, and during the, that time, Bill Clinton visited Vietnam and WTO opened up for Vietnam. So it was a very interesting time at that time. And then uh, for me to keep continuing, when after I grew up, uh, by the time I'm 18, I, mo- I moved to the U.S. to study. And then coming back every year, um, you see the changes very rapidly uh, mm-hmm. in everything, in all aspects of life. And that continues until now when I come to visit every year to Vietnam. It's like, oh my God, you guys are so advanced now. Everything, you know, internet and, uh, you know, payment and everything. Um, It's just, things just change at a much faster pace because of how um, dynamic 
things are at the time and uh, um, in the country at the moment, and things a lot of things need to be established, and they're becoming much more and more. Um, much, uh, you know, the progress is much faster. So. Yeah, that's very cool. So when you were growing up there, um, was there something like, as far as your family's kind of like pushing you in a direction, was there any sort of like career or something you were interested in? Oh, that's interesting question. <laughs> um, I think at that time, most people's aspirations for their children was to be able to get a job with the state sector to work for the government because mm-hmm. they promise security um, for life, right? And uh, that's what people just think about. And so I actually majored in, in economics in college, which is quite okay. popular among Asians coming to the U.S. or anywhere outside uh, their countries to study because in our college um, at Bowdoin, there wasn't anything as a, you know, like business major or accounting major. It's more like a liberal arts college so uh, economics is the closest to what you think of as a kind of a, a finance career. Okay. Uh, yeah, but I also majored in French and minored in women's studies. And so for me, those are uh, very interesting top subjects because they, you know, there's more of anthropology and sociology and all things combined in there. Um, but at that time, I was in the U.S. by myself. So I made all those choices by myself and didn't have to consult my parents. Hey, I'm, I'm learning this. I'm learning this. Um, and so I still finished with a economics degree. But I didn't use much of it in my career. Yeah. yeah. So then after you graduated, you said you moved back to Vietnam? Yeah, so I worked in the U.S. for a year on a, a student, you know, it's called, what's called OPT, a student um, training. The visa? Visa, yes. So yeah, yeah. It's on like the extended student visa. And then I moved back um, to Vietnam. And at that time, I was very interested in journalism. So I joined a journalism, a journalist um, um, news outlet mm-hmm. and I ended up working in television for a while. Uh, really? Okay. Means, yeah. So I, it, it gave me a lot of skills in um, video editing, but also editing, you know, content in general. Um, and then I moved into I moved into a public relations. So I was a public relations um, um, professional in an agency for mm-hmm. over five years. Um, okay. And as, as I said, um, the context of Vietnam is things were moving, were like gradually opening up. And um, at that time, which is over 10 years ago, there was a lot of new uh, multinational companies coming in. And so our, and there were very few PR agencies. So ours are in, in high demand. And we ended up working with a lot of um, multinationals and uh, Fortune 500 companies. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, they are all our clients. Yeah. So, nice. that, uh, yeah. So then um, I did that for a while. And then I met my husband. And then we decided to uh, move to Hong Kong because of his job and so we, yep. we followed um his uh position to hong kong and decided mm-hmm. that's a time for something new okay yeah. so did did you guys meet in vietnam yes yes okay so he actually was working for um, the united nations uh and that's how he started coming to vietnam and then after that he also did a phd in uh, vietnam studies um okay studying of vietnam's um economy and Very so, cool. In many aspects, you know about Vietnam more than I do. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, nice. Yeah. When um, 
as you kind of saw the shift uh, in Vietnam from the, you said the centralized kind of style to the market, um, were you seeing a, a increase in things like entrepreneurship and small businesses there? Definitely, yes. And um, when I think about uh, Vietnam in general, I think the people there are so entrepreneurial in their mindset and it's not like you have to go to business school. You know, it's like the woman selling things on the street uh, because yeah. that's kind of like a survival skills. And so with the, with the opening up of the economy, there were a lot of chances for people to do things like import-export or even like translation for things similar to what we do in the, the public relations agency, which is trying to uh, connect the Vietnamese public with an uh, American or a British company who comes in Vietnam for the first time and having to know a lot of the nuances of the, of the culture and yeah. how good business is there. Um, and so uh, we, that was a startup business as well that I worked at um, in the public, agency, the public relations agency. And mm -hmm. uh, so I think... Yeah, I mean, I, I think it was people had more opportunities to explore entrepreneurial opportunities compared to before. Yeah. But people in Vietnam had always had that kind of survival skills, like, what do we do now to make more money and provide for our families? Yeah. Um, for example, my mom was working, um, she had a state job, a state, um, she was working for uh, um, the post office. Mm -hmm. However, in her side time, uh, like after work and when we were born, she had to trade in uh, candies and that's like uh, sell candies to okay. Yeah, but, you know, the small, small quantities, but try to, to gain from the differences between wholesale and retail um, to, to make ends meet and to have savings and, you know. And so I think back of that, it's not like suddenly people become more entrepreneurial. My mom was entrepreneur by herself, even though she wouldn't call herself that glamorous title, right? And this is an example of many, um, many, many people in Vietnam. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. So what was it like for you guys once you guys moved to Hong Kong? Um... It is very different, of course. Um, it's very exciting to be in another Asian country that is so dynamic. It was, you know, Hong Kong is the is the head of head office for a lot of uh, Asia Pacific companies. It's considered okay. like one of the hubs of, of Asia, um, mm -hmm. of Asia Pacific. So there's that kind of sense of being the, in the heart of the international community of Asia. Um, but also, I really love exploring the local culture. Um, mm -hmm. People spoke, speak my Cantonese there, and okay. food and everything. Uh, for me, the equal interesting part is that is knowing the local culture and knowing the very, very um, special position of Hong Kong at the moment, and and you know how it progressed until now with the tension with China and with, you know, the ownership of things and uh, the struggle in the past few years. Um, and so for, for me, it's an interesting part to observe. And I can't say we're part of it because we are still kind of like expats living in the country because we don't yeah. speak much Cantonese. So um, in a way, it's um, we're glad to be there. But in another way, it's like we still live in kind of like another bubble. Um, yes. Not really yeah. like in the mainstream, we can't vote. You know, we can't buy houses because we're foreigners there. 
So things are different. Um, and so, yeah, I think there was a lot of that excitement. And I was very glad that my children were born there and was able to absorb some of that culture mm-hmm. and bring that with them. Um, my younger one was only three when we moved here. But she okay. was first. Yeah, we just came back this summer and they remember a lot of things. So, oh, cool. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so it, it's part of them. And um, a lot of things I do with my, my quiet books are also inspired by that. Uh, by them because they have this kind of third culture identity, uh, being born and raised in different places and struggle that and things like that. Yeah, Yeah, very cool. So how did you guys eventually end up on Whidbey Island? Ah, Everyone asks us that. I know. So my my husband has some friends um, in uh, Edmonds because he grew up in Edmonds. So the childhood friends are there and they're very, very close together, uh, very close as friends. Mm-hmm. So uh, one of them wanted to um, come and explore Woodby Island for kind of like new farmer living uh, on Woodby. And mm-hmm. so uh, he somehow convinced my husband to try out as well. <laughs> and <laughs> so we went to visit. And I, I like to tell people this story when we went to visit for the first time. And uh, we drove at night, we drove around the highway. And, you know, my husband would point to Langley and say like, hey, that's a city. And I looked at it and it was all flat, right? And I was like, oh, my God, this is called a city. You imagine we came from Hong Kong where <laughs> you know, it was like, we're living with a hundred-story high-rise buildings surrounding us, right? And the, yeah. the concrete jungle. And he's like, "That's a city!" I'm like, oh my god! But um, <laughs> yeah, so it took took me a while to get used to to that. But um, I think it, we're grateful for that decision. We we decided to move here. We decided to try out um, farming life. So we have a farm now. Um, okay. And and uh, I think I don't know if you know this book. Um, the create about creative living by um liz uh what's her name liz gilbert the woman who okay writes, yeah the, the woman who writes uh eat pray love okay yeah she has this book on create about creative living uh, and okay says, you know everyone should have something that the heart desires to do to make to create and that shouldn't shouldn't have to be something that earns you a living, but but makes you you know fulfilled. And for her, it's writing. Whether she was successful or not, she was always writing. And for some other people, it could be you know creating something, dancing. And I think it's for my husband is farming. So <laughs> so I think that he found something that he really loved to do. Um, and I would like to be supportive of that. Yeah, very <laughs> cool. Um, so then, uh, how did you come? Where did the idea start for Little Bean's Toy Chest? And for the listeners who don't know, can you describe the, the business a little bit as well? Sure, yeah. So um, when my daughter was two, it's she started playing with a lot of things. And always <laughs> we were looking out for things to buy for her. And I quickly realized that um, in the Hong Kong market, even though Hong Kong is considered the capital of the toy market, because a lot of import-export from China go through Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a lot of plastic toys. You go to the toy store or the toy street, you know, surrounded by plastic. Um, or if not, you know, there are only a few things, a few European brands at that time that was like super expensive, you know, pieces of woods and things like that. Um, mm-hmm. And so uh, for me, 
at the same time, I saw that my daughter was very interested in felt, um, which is a material that, uh, you know, is very easy to make a lot of things with. Yeah. Uh, and so my idea was to start uh, making things with felt for her. And then eventually it became this concept of quiet book, which is not invented by my own. It's people have been doing it a lot of times. There are books that are made of felt or fabric. And that has a lot of activities in each page for children to play with. Um, and so uh, usually they, they help the children to improve their fine motor skills, but also imagination, creative thinking, problem solving. If those, about, those are like math problems, for example, or puzzles. So in, his, in essence, anything can be made and can be created in terms of in, in like miniature version or, or game version with those toy books. And so uh, Little Bean's Toy Chest now specializes in uh, quiet books, toy books that, um, that are promoting children to develop their skills while also keeping them off from screen, you know, not yeah. keeping them engaged for a long time away from the screen. Um, the special thing about our brand is also that uh, while many people focuses on only the five motor skills aspect, we focus on the content. So actually, we view ourselves more as a content creator because okay. each book has a, a very definite theme and a, a specialized um, design that is not the same as anywhere else. Um, so when I lived in Hong Kong, for example, I most one of our first books was called I Love Hong Kong which is a book that kind of documents a few landmarks and um, the food and the cultures and the festivals of uh, Hong Kong. And my mm -hmm. idea at that time was that I knew it was not our children, ours and our children's forever home. One day we would leave. And it's very common in Hong Kong for expats to come and go. So we mm -hmm. want to have something as like a keepsake for our children and yeah. in the play form that they can play with. So we would have things like the Star Fairy, which is, like the would-be fairy, like very iconic thing about Hong Kong, or the high-rise skyscrapers, and um, the food, the dim sum, the you know uh, festivals like Chinese New Year and um, the mid-autumn festivals. Yeah, so those are all represented in the book as little games and little images for people to play with, and um, the children can relate that to their their kind of what they see in the daily life. Um, and so when we when we moved to the U.S., it became more of a, <clears throat> so in Hong Kong, it was like a, it started as a, as a way to express uh, ideas and teach things for the kids. Um, and so when we went to the U.S., I had taken on a new meaning for the business and for, for the books because um, we saw the at that time when we moved, especially 2020, and we live being on Woodby Island, it's not very diverse, right? It's yeah, hard to find yeah. foods and people and cultures that are, remind us of Asia, Vietnam. And so for me to make other books in a series about Vietnam or um, other uh, China or other countries is a way for us to celebrate our cultures as well. So now yeah. we, have, um, we have a little... Um, collection like the Asia theme collection um, okay. that have different countries in Asia. Nice. Yeah. Very cool. So um, 
in in that then are your books do they also have writings and stuff within them or are they more driven just by the pictures and the, the pieces that you're putting together no they don't have words in them and sometimes we put one or two words um, as a way for children to learn some vocabularies. So, for example, the book about Vietnam would have things like Tết, which means uh, Lunar New Year, you know, so okay. words. And so we're, we're targeting children around age, like, say, two to five. So that's really pre-literacy uh, before they learn to read. Um, so they can do some simple, like, pre-math games, and then they learn the concepts. Um, but the idea for us more is about um, imagination and creative uh, storytelling. Um, okay. And, you know, so it, you can read it, like, quote, quote, read it in different ways, depending on your family and your, you know, what stories are relating to you. Um, and another thing that's related to that is we we used to make these books all with a very, very, not like a homogenous um, dolls that have like the same kind of peach color. Mm-hmm. And um, after I talked to like coming to the U.S. and talking to like being more exposed to the more diverse cultures here, I realized that, you know, that's not enough. We need to represent. Hey, it's Brandon jumping in real quick. We had some weird technical issues where Hyann's computer and internet died for a minute. Uh, so then we had to reconnect back into the podcast. Um, so she's going to pick up with after um, I didn't actually ask the question on air, but um, we talked prior. Um, but she's going to jump in with explaining um, why she started the Whidbey Island Language, Art and STEM Center and kind of her heart behind that. So uh, here is her answer to that. Great. Uh, yes. So I started the Whidbey Language, Art and STEM Center because when I first moved from Vietnam to, sorry, from Hong Kong to the U.S. in 2020, one of my first questions to the real estate agent was, is there any, um, is there any uh, language uh, programs on the island? My daughter was in Hong Kong and she was learning Vietnamese and she was learning Mandarin. And that's one of my worries when I moved to the island was that where would that, these opportunities be for her? When she comes to the island, because it's much smaller and you know there's there's less offerings, um, and so that led me to become a volunteer for the Northwest Language and Culture Center, which okay. is the only place in um, Whidbey Island that offer language training. Um, even though at that point, because of the pandemic, they had actually stopped a lot of the programs for languages. Um, so I became friends with them anyway, and I uh, start, helped them start the Spanish program for the next year yep. uh, when the pandemic kind of eased off a bit. And, uh, yeah, so we had continued to have some uh, sporadic um, Spanish clubs and some summer camps in Spanish um, last summer when we, uh, our the founder of the Northwest Language and Culture Center actually passed away due to a very tragic and sudden accident. Okay. Um, so that was quite a sad news for all of us and also a disruption for the whole operation of um, the organization because she had been the, whole, the same, the, the main person holding all these activities. Um, and um, after she passed away, actually, um, the organization decided, you know, all the board members and everyone decided to close that. Um, okay. So I saw that. Uh, I, it took me a while, but then I thought, you know, there must be other, other ways to restart this program again. 
And so um, that's when I was inspired to start this center at first as a language center. Um, yep. However, I, I've also been a parent here for three years and I talked to a lot of parents around and I find that actually people don't only want um, Spanish, you know, the, the offerings on the island in terms of art uh, and in terms of, um, you know, sports and dance in the south, south, south of the island um, are quite um, abundant. However, the offerings for like languages and STEM, which is science, uh, technology, engineering and maths, and also, you know, art for children are actually not a lot. So uh, people actually want a lot more offerings for, for children, more programming, uh, more things that children can do outside their school hours mm -hmm. to um, pursue different interests and explore different things. Um, and also, you know, a bit more of, um, of after school care for the parents would be much appreciated. So that led me to um, expand the offering of the center to become languages, art and STEM. Um, and so that's what we're offering right now. Okay. Very yeah. cool. So um, what are the things that uh, you've d uh, done with uh, the center this year? So um, we started the center, you know, I had a lot of motivation when we did the RAIN program together, which was a program to uh, mentor and promote for uh, small businesses on the island. And uh, you know well, right, Brandon, you and I yeah. are both but we are also benefited a lot from um, just you know being in that community and and learning from the uh, island counties uh, economic development council about what uh, supports there are for small businesses on the island yeah. and so actually I wanted to start the um, I, I decided to start only this a uh, this uh, February March um, okay. because it was also the time that we apply for a grant. You know, there was a grant, uh, the small business grant offered by the Economic Development Council. And yep. uh, I took the chance to apply for that as well. And uh, it took two trials. And, and, but finally, we, we also um, received a small grant from the, the, that program. Nice. And so um, we started this, uh, we started to promote for our summer programs in April. And we started the summer camps um, just at the end of last month in July. Um, until now, it's about four, four weeks. Um, so far, we've had 15 camps across the board from Chinese, Spanish, coding, music, and art um, with over 100 people or 100 families um, applying for their children to attend. Very and cool. That, yeah, that, that was quite encouraging for us because this is the very first year and we also launched very late in the summer. But this really shows that the island is ready for more programming for children. Yeah, very cool. All right. So you guys got done with the summer program. Uh, what do you guys have planned past that? Yes, yeah, so our, our idea is actually becoming an after-school center, um, after, school, after school enrichment center where uh, children can come to after the school hours um, for different enrichment opportunities uh, from languages to art to music um, and to uh, science programs. Mm-hmm. And so during the school year, we're planning um, a lot of activities for the after-school program. Uh, we're going to have um, Spanish and uh, maybe a few Chinese and maybe a couple more languages um, going and also art programs and also um, music 
and uh, coding program, which is very popular. And I, wow. I don't see anybody doing coding in on the island. So I believe we might be the first one, at nice. least on the, top of the island. So uh, yeah, so we did two camps of coding in summer, and we are continue that, continuing that during the school year as well. And actually, the coding program was um, enabled by the fund that uh, we received from the Economic Development Council because we got the grant to buy all the laptops so that the students can use for the co- for the coding program. Wow, that's awesome! Thank you. Um, so, where how are you guys finding uh, instructors and stuff for this? Uh, interesting. Yes, good question. I, uh, it is a very small island, and uh, as you can see, I'm very talkative. I talk to everybody. So <laughs> it's been a lot of word of mouth, um, finding people from other people. I also advertise on um, the local you know, advertising um, channels. Yep. But um, I, I also look out at uh, schools and see if the teachers would like to teach more. And actually, I would love to find more uh, teachers. We're always looking for more teachers because I feel that there are so many things that the community wants to be taught, um, to, to be offered, but uh, there are not enough teachers yet. Um, so we are trying to promote ourselves and uh, promote for the jobs that we want to, um, to recruit for. So most of these positions are actually contract-based uh, or can be part-time employee-based. Uh, but the idea is that you contribute a couple hours a week or so to, um, to teach something that you're passionate about. You know, sometimes people are um, officially a teacher at school and sometimes they're not, but you can always teach something. Um, and we offer the administrative and marketing support so that the teachers come in and they just focus on teaching and they don't have yeah. to worry recruiting students or uh, registration and things like that. Awesome. That's really cool. Thank you. So where, where do you see this uh, growing into then? Um, you know, in this is this, this model of having a after school center is very popular in big cities. And that's why that's what I see a lot in, in big cities like Hong Kong, right? Or even you see in Seattle, there'll be much more. And I'm hoping that our, by starting this, we, we are going to be that for the people in the local community uh, to help them find, have like a centralized place to find you know, different things for them to do. And it doesn't have to, um, to, to learn, it doesn't have to limit to South Woodby. It could be in North Woodby and uh, Central Woodby as well. We're working, we're starting to, to talk to schools um, in other parts of Woodby Island um, on partnership and whether we can have our center um, kind of like a satellite class there so that students okay. over there can also go um, to our programs and learn different things. Um, and the other thing that I see is that um, there are a lot of people who want to come to Woodby Island on like summers or different breaks and they want some things for their children to do. Um, so, for example, in summer, we had these summer camps and uh, quite a few of the children come from the city and some from Seattle and some as far as New York. And they come in here to um, to enjoy the time with the grandparents, but also, you know, it's a time that they can enjoy some camps. So we're hoping that more more people outside of Whibby Island also see this as a opportunity to come and enjoy our beautiful island and also learn something new. That's great. 
Well, that's that's yeah. really cool that you guys are doing this uh, this program because I think it's it's going to allow um, you know get get more of these skills and stuff down to the the kids in um, you know in an area that doesn't have you know a bunch of different schools like this. No, yeah, uh, definitely. And I another thing I find is that there are so many talents on the island. And I think it's probably the same with Kemaino Island, where people want to come here because they want a more peaceful and, you know, grow on a farm and, you know, do farming and do have, pursue different hobbies or live nearer to nature. Um, but they, they have so many talents. And if you talk to people like, oh, can you do this? Can you do that? You know, some people can do filmmaking some people can do you know a documentary or you know art or teacher different skills and that's what we aim to do as well is connect all these talents together um, so that the community can benefit from that so I'm very excited about that as well awesome well very cool well I'm really excited for both these ventures as you continue to move forward with them um, and uh, and also continue to uh, expand your your guys's farm on on Whidbey. <laughs> <laughs> yes, thank you. Yeah, lots of things, but we're very excited um, about living here and a lot of possibilities. Yeah. All right. Well, I like to end every podcast with some rapid fire questions. So the first one is, what purchase of $100 or less have you enjoyed the most in the last three months? This is a very hard question for me. <laughs> so, you know, during the pandemic, I realized that we haven't been purchasing anything apart from very basic things, right? Toilet papers and things you have to purchase. <laughs> yep. So I'm not in the habit of spending a lot or purchasing a lot anymore. I would say of something very, rather boring. We, um, I bought this book called uh, Profit First. And I think you've heard about it from yes. Instagram. And uh, it actually was quite a surprising um, find for me to read the book. And I know it sounds very like money grabbing to say profit first, but the idea is, quite, quite um, groundbreaking for me, uh, quite yeah. new for me. So I find it as a good, like, wow, you know, you need to read something new or you need to, you know, expand your horizon to learn about all these things. So that, that was why I was excited, excited about yeah. that. That's, that's not a boring choice at all. I think that's such a great book, and especially for entrepreneurs who are just getting into it. Mm -hmm. It's such an important kind of step in that journey, I believe. Yes, Definitely. Awesome. Who is the most influential person outside of your family in your life? Um, again, I can't think of one particular person, but I would say um, my college where I had my four years of liberal arts education um, is a big factor and when I'm uh, a big influence for me. And when I think about them, uh, about the college, I think about the people I I uh, studied with or I had the chance to know as, as teachers or alumni and um, it just makes me feel like I, I want to live and work better because they, you know, um, all of us shared this vision when we went to study there um, to, uh, to kind of contribute to the common goods and in all the things we do. And so I'd say that's a kind of common thing is like people who are related to my college. Yeah. Very cool. All right. This is a fill in the blank question. I yes. know this is weird, but I've always wanted to blank. Um, <laughs> do you have time for a long story? <laughs> um, there was this movie called little miss sunshine. Yeah. 
watch that. Yeah, where the guy was talking about uh, Proust being the author, the French author Marcel Proust, who was like confining himself for years in a place. And you think it's very boring, but he actually produced the masterpiece of his life by being confined and kind of trapped in a place. Yeah. And in a weird way, I feel like I need that because our lives are always so much. Like we're always moving and always like our attention is so fragmented that you don't get to sit down and do many things, you know, very focused manner. So yeah. that's the only thing I kind of fancy, even though it sounds like a torture. Um, but I think it'll be cool to like sit down and read and write and be be focused on that. Yeah, very cool. Well, and you're in the perfect spot for that. <laughs> yeah, sit on sit under the tree. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, who is an interesting or fascinating person that I should interview next? Um, it doesn't have to be an entrepreneur. No, right? No, no, it can be anyone. So um, we started working with and with uh, partners in our new learning center as well. So not only teachers, but also education partners. Yep. And I have been very impressed with uh, Lauren Atkinson, who is the head of this new uh, collective called, new learning collective called Heartfield. Um, she actually used to be a founding member of the Calix School, which is a local school um, like forest school that was founded okay. before COVID. Um, so uh, Lauren has a very interesting approach to education that is connected to uh, learning about the earth and the surrounding environment around us and learning to cooperate and such. Uh, and so I think um, there's a lot of stories uh, with Lauren and with her groups and her activities. I think that I would, would recommend you talk to her. All right, perfect. All right, and lastly, what piece of advice would you give your 20-year-old self? Um, so many advice. <laughs> but uh, I think when I was young, there was a sense of um, fear a lot about missing out, like about mm -hmm. uh, trading and sacrificing. Like if I am too, work too hard in this direction, then I lose out on that. Or, you know, I fame, I, you know, I will not have a lot of fulfilling career, um, no, family life or friendship or things like that. And if I were to go back, um, I would tell my younger self that you can. Um, the, it's not about, it's, it's about time management, right? It's not focus management. It's not about like one or the other. Um, yeah. And that's the thing that uh, I think held me back in terms of a lot of things. Um, but it doesn't have to be so. And, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. I know we had a few different technical issues, but appreciate you pushing through all that. Yes, and my apologies for the issues as well. I, I, leave, I really appreciate this opportunity to talk about my business myself and share more with the local community. Yeah, and connect uh, Whidbey and Kameno more and more. So. <laughs> yes, 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 definitely. All right. Well, thank you so much. And thank Islanders, you. I will talk to you on the next one. Well, a big thank you to Haiyan Vu for joining me on the podcast today, and thank you for listening. If you haven't already, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast platform. It really helps us be found by other islanders like yourself. And for more information on this episode, you can go to CaminoCommons.com slash podcast. Sorry, I, <laughs> for a moment there, I definitely felt like I was like clicking into like airplane of like 
Thank you for joining us on this show today. Um, so, anyways, that's what you get um, because this is my first show back. So, thank you guys for listening, and I will talk to you on the next one.